We're good. Well, last week uh, we started a new series um, looking at uh, Hebrews chapter 11, the power of faith and what that means and how that can translate into our lives and how we can have faith and great faith. And this chapter is, is, is sometimes called the Hall of Faith chapter or the Heroes of the Faith chapter, um, where the author of Hebrews really, it's almost as though this person goes, just starts at Genesis chapter 1 and starts flipping through and says, well, this person did this by faith and this person did this by faith. And kind of lists a bunch of them out here in Hebrews 11 uh, of how they live by faith and what God was able to accomplish through them by faith. And so we're taking a look at all of these. But the chapter started off in Hebrews chapter 11 verses 1 through 3, kind of giving a, a definition of what faith looks like. And so let's take a look at that real quick. Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, we're at conviction, that means proof. It is the support. It is the uh, uh, proof of what you can't see. Faith is. He says, for by it, by faith, the people of old receive their commendation. That's the recognition from God. You see, and that's what's so key there. Faith is only faith when faithful acts are done for the Lord and not for other people, for the Lord's recognition and not the recognition of other people. Then verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So faith sees what can't be seen. Faith can do more than we can do. Faith expands our understanding of what is possible because it believes God can do anything. Or as Tony Evans said, I gave this quote last week, faith is acting like God is telling the truth. A lot of times we say we have faith and yet our actions don't communicate that same thing. We don't act sometimes like God is telling the truth because we act on our own cleverness, our own rationale, what makes the best sense to us rather than what God instructed us to do. Faith is acting like God is telling the truth. And so we get down here into Hebrews chapter 11. Today we're going to be in verse 4. It's on page 1007. Uh, if you're going to use a Bible on the pew rack there in front of you. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible, just take one of those home. Uh, it's the English Standard Version. That translation is a very good one. You can just take that home and have it be your Bible. We've got others we can replace that one with, so don't worry about it. But uh, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11. Starting in verse 4, and now the author of Hebrews, like I said, is going, you know, flipping through the, the Old Testament, just listing off some of the great people of faith, and he starts here with the, very, the fourth person to exist on the earth. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, he, uh, the author writes, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. Now that word commended is important. Remember we just talked about that in Hebrews 11 verse 2, being commended, being recognized by God for having great faith, by living by faith. And so he says, Abel was commended as righteous, was commended as a believer, as, a, as saved by God. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. What that means is his, his life of faith, his legacy of faith is still demonstrated and felt by us today. How many of y'all know a whole lot about Abel? 
Well, you know, there's only like, you know, five verses about him, so we can't know a whole lot about him, but we know some. I want you to go and flip back, and we'll take a look at, at the life of Abel a little bit. Uh, while you're, it's in Genesis chapter 4. You see, Abel, he acted on faith. What it says, by faith, Abel offered to God. Abel offered to God by faith. What exactly does that mean? I mean, how did faith lead Abel to offer what is mentioned there in verse 4 of Hebrews 11, a more acceptable sacrifice? By faith, he offered a more acceptable sacrifice. What did really faith have to do with offering a more acceptable sacrifice at all? Well, we're going to look at that and try to answer those questions. Genesis chapter 4. See, what's happened this far in Genesis, right? God created the earth. Um, the heavens and the earth created everything, created man, created woman. Uh, but then they sinned. Adam and Eve sinned. They were, uh, Eve was deceived by Satan. Uh, Adam knew exactly what he was doing, and he sinned, then e- and Eve sinned. And uh, because they sinned, they broke God's perfect world. And they left the Garden of Eden, which the Garden of Eden was God's intention of perfection. So they left that and were not able to go back. And uh, having left the garden, they still had to live, they still had to function, they still had to exist in this world, and still, at best they could, obey the Lord. And so let's look, Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. So there's a lot we can see here in this verse. I mean, Eve is saying this. Cain's birth is cause for rejoicing. It's cause for the joy. And what's fascinating to me is even though Adam and Eve, you know, introduced sin into the world, Adam and Eve broke God's perfect world by sin, uh, God is still going to bless them. God still gives them the blessing here of Cain and then Abel and other children later on. So even though they were punished, and rightly so, Adam and Eve continued to worship the Lord. You, you notice in that verse, she acknowledges the Lord's role in the blessing of their child. You know, we don't know a whole lot about Adam and Eve outside of, you know, them being the first people, them sinning and getting kicked out of the garden. But we do see here they still worship the Lord. Even in their sin, even in their punishment, they still worship the Lord. I mean, they're, Adam and Eve are famous for their sin. That's what they're known for, their sin. And yet even after that, they worship the Lord. You see, the thing about Scripture is it shows us all kinds of people. And Jesus, being the only perfect one to have ever lived, perfect person, only perfect person in Scripture, Scripture talks about all these other people who some of them live by faith, some don't, but none of them are perfect. They all do things that do not make God happy. But that doesn't mean they can't still make faithful decisions even when they sin. Same for you. It doesn't mean just because you sin that you're known by your sin or defined by your sin that you can still choose to follow the Lord. I mean, David, right? Great King David, known for his faith in defeating Goliath, known for his his faith in in, uh, not killing King Saul, known for his, his, his phenomenal faith in following God, sinned a great amount in his adultery, in his murder uh, of Uriah, in straight disobeying God and telling other people to disobey God, leading to thousands and thousands of his people getting killed because of his pride. 
And yet, after all of that, David is called a man after God's own heart. It wasn't because he was perfect. It was because he was repentant. I said, I know I need to change. And I know I need to follow the Lord. And so David didn't allow his sin to define who he was. He allowed his faith to define who he was, even in the midst of his sin. And so we see Adam and Eve, who were sinful people, obviously, introducing sin into the world. But yet, here in Genesis 4, verse 1, they still worship God. They're still doing the best in their lives to be faithful to the Lord in this new season they find themselves in. They're recognizing the true source of their blessing. Verse 2, Genesis 4. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. So Adam and Eve have two kids at this point, uh, Cain and Abel. Cain the firstborn, uh, Abel uh, the, the younger one. And they had two different occupations. One's a farmer. Uh, one is a shepherd. So there are two different jobs. One, they're not, one's not better than the other. They're just different. Verse 3. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. Now, even in that, just thinking about Adam and Eve, even in that verse, those, those two verses right there, how did Cain and Abel know to bring offerings to God? How, how did they know they needed to recognize God's provision and worship him by sacrificing something and bringing, them, bringing those sacrifices to God, bring that offering to God? Well, their parents had to teach them. Adam and Eve had to teach them we need to worship God. Adam and Eve had to show them we need to sacrifice to the Lord. We need to honor him. And so they raised up Cain and Abel to do this. And Cain and Abel go and they do their jobs, one a shepherd, one a farmer. And they bring their offerings to God. They bring their sacrifices to God. Having been taught how and why to worship by their parents. And it says, the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, accepted Abel's offering. Verse 5. But for Cain and his offering, God had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. So the Lord wouldn't even consider Cain's offering. And that brought incredible anger out in Cain. He thought he had done enough. And then he explodes with anger when he's told that he did not do enough. In reality, as we're going to see, Cain really misunderstood what he was supposed to be doing in bringing sacrifice, in bringing an offering, and worshiping the Lord. And so the Lord sees Cain's anger, and then God asks Cain a question. And I want you to notice, too, even in this moment when Cain does something that was ill-motivated, and even in this moment when he is very angry, he can still hear the voice of the Lord. Look at verse 6. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. If you do well. Really what that means is, uh, if your heart and and, uh, your motivations are right and pure, but if you do not do right, 
If you do not do well, if you are not careful to protect yourself and you leave yourself open to an opportunity of sin, then the enemy is ready to pounce because he's poised and ready to jump on you. It's the idea of, it's the difference between, uh, I'm from Houston, let's say you lived in downtown Houston, and you left your doors open, your windows open and unlocked at night. You'd not be alive in the morning. (laughs) But it's that idea, the enemy is crouching at your door and ready just for you to leave it open and leave an opportunity ready for them to come in. And so what God is telling uh, Cain is you left the door open for sin. You gave sin an opportunity. You didn't protect yourself and set, set up parameters and a strategy to, to, to push sin back. You left it open so sin could come and creep in and get you. You ever notice sometimes, maybe when you're tired, you end up binge-watching something and you feel terrible after binge-watching it because it's probably not the best show because you left yourself open, you were tired, you just clicked on the first thing that popped up and it just automatically rolled into the next one. And you just find yourself at the end of it, well, I just feel awful having done that. It just kept coming and coming and I didn't know how to stop and, and now I'm here and now I've got all these images and thoughts and, and words just flowing through my brain and because we left ourselves open and sin is always crouching and ready. Satan is always prepared to throw something at you, to dive at you, to jump when you find yourself in a situation where your defenses are down. And anytime you're tired, your defenses are down. Anytime you're, you're frustrated, your defenses are down. Anytime you're, you're complaining or irritated, your defenses are down. Every time. And the enemy's ready because he's seen somebody like you before. Satan's been at this for thousands of years. He knows how to push your buttons. He knows, oh, they're a little irritated. I'm jumping. They're a little tired right now, and they're not prepared. I'm just going to put this little thought in their head. Pick up your phone and do that thing. Do this. Just make that little comment with that tone to that person and just set them off, and then I'll jump on them. And Satan knows, and so he's always poised, and he's always ready. And so God's trying to tell Cain here, the third person to ever exist, just prepare yourself, man. The enemy's ready. He's coming. You better be ready for it. Look at what happens in verse 8. Cain left not only the door open, he invited the sin in and had dinner with it. Verse 8. Cain spoke to his brother Abel. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Cain was mad at God and took it out on his brother. We saw this a week, or, a week ago, uh, that we do not fight against flesh and blood. But the enemy will use a strategy and convince us that the other person is the enemy rather than him. And so Cain, who is mad at God, takes it out on Abel and kills Abel. Kills a quarter of the world's population. Drops him there in the field. He left sin an opportunity. And he took it out on Abel. Something really Cain probably thought was small. The offering, and he got mad about it, and it's not that big a deal. But then that ended up leading him to this deep, dark place where he was committed the first murder in the world. And Cain, unlike David, 
does not turn from his wicked heart and turn back to the Lord. Because he allows his sin then to, to creep in and take root and doesn't change. As we see in Jude verse 11, speaking about other people, using Cain as a descriptor, Jude writes, Woe to them, for they walk in the way of Cain and abandon themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error, who was another guy who did wicked stuff, and perished in Korah's rebellion, another guy who did wicked stuff. So the way of Cain, it says there, the way of Cain is spoken of as evil and wicked. That's what it became known as. You follow after Cain, you do what Cain does, means you disobey God, you walk away from God, you're doing evil and wicked things. In John, 1 John verse 3, or chapter 3, verse 12, John says it this way. We should not be like Cain. Man, you would hate for people to write that about you, right? We should not be, we should not be like you at all. But John's saying we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Cain's actions are evil. And, and, and Scripture tells us, actually, what happens to the offering of a wicked heart like Cain's. I mean, remember, Cain's offering was rejected by God, and we're going to see why. But Scripture tells us that his offering was rejected because his heart was the way it was. This is in Proverbs 21, 27. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more when he brings it with evil intent? So we see these things in Scripture, and we still ask the question, okay, we know the way of Cain is evil. We know Cain's doing evil and wicked things. We know the intent of his heart is evil, Proverbs 21, 27. But what exactly is the way of Cain? Why was Abel faithful and righteous and Cain wicked and evil? Well, look back at Genesis 4, verses 3 and 4. It's right there for us. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. So Abel brought the firstborn and the fat portions. That's the fat sheep. Abel brought the first and the best. That's what he brought. Abel brought the first and the best. When it says fat portions, that means the best. That's the way we should define that word now, right? He says the, the fat portions were the best. So he said the firstborn of his flock, that's the first ones that were born, and, and the ones uh, that were the biggest, that's the ones he brought. The first and the best, that's what Abel brought. First and the best. And he did it in faith. Remember Hebrews 11.4? By faith, Abel brought this offering. So in faith, Abel brought the first and the best. But back in verse 3, Cain brought just some of his fruit. There's an intentional uh, uh, compare and contrast here by the author of Genesis. That he said, the author says that Abel brought the first and the best, but when it says Cain, what he brought, it just says an offering of the fruit of the ground. He didn't bring the first and the best. He just brought some that he had. He just brought some that he had on hand. Maybe it was bruised, maybe it was misshapen, maybe it was just a little bitty bit, but he just brought some, whereas Abel brought the first and the best. And that intentional contrast shows us Cain's offering was ultimately rejected by God. 
Because God knows the intentions of the giver's heart. That's 1 Samuel uh, 16, 7. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Maybe Cain wanted to keep the first and the best for himself. Maybe he, he wanted to give as little as he could possibly get away with giving because he was worried about having enough for himself. You know, according to Hebrews 11.4, like we saw, Abel gave by faith, gave the first and the best by faith, possibly knowing, not knowing whether more would be available. Maybe that's where the faith came in. He gave the first and the best because, and he did it by faith because he, maybe he didn't have any more at the time. And so he was going to worship God and bring the first and bring the best and then trust that God would take care of everything else. And like Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, seek first the kingdom of heaven and all of this will be added unto you. So he was trusting that the Lord would take care of him by faith. But Cain didn't do that. Cain wasn't trusting God. And so because Cain didn't trust God by faith, he didn't please God. Abel trusted. All he knew was to offer God the first and the best and trust that God would provide for the rest. And so he chose to place his trust in God's provision rather than his own skill as a shepherd. He trusted that God would take care of him, so he offered all he had, the first and the best. And whatever was left over, God would take care of him and provide what he needed. See, because that's the deal. Faith pleases God because faith trusts God. Faith pleases God because faith trusts God, and trust pleases God. So Abel's offering was accepted because he did it by faith, because he trusted in God. Cain's offering was rejected because he didn't trust God, because he didn't act on faith, and he just offered something he had. Faith and trust pleased the Lord. Abel gave by faith. Abel trusted the Lord. So giving to the Lord should be done in accordance with your trust in the Lord. Giving that trusts the Lord pleases the Lord. Giving in faith is trusting that God will provide everything we need rather than giving poorly like Cain did. The way of Cain that is spoken of throughout Scripture. Paul writes of this very idea, giving in faith. He spends uh, the, the most amount of time in his letters to the Corinthians talking about giving in faith more so than other things. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Sowing and reaping. Giving is what he's talking about. Give bountifully and see what God will do. Back up a chapter before that, chapter 8 verse 7, Paul writes, as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness and all love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also, speaking of giving. Paul believes that giving generously is evidence of God's grace in your life. Giving financially is a visible sign of the invisible grace. When you belong to the Lord and you're walking in faith, you're looking for opportunities to give rather than giving excuses. Paul says again in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous 
in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So the point of God's abundant provision is for us to give generously. The point of God giving anything is for us to give back. That's what Paul is saying. The point of God's provision, and in actuality, we wouldn't have anything without God's provision. We wouldn't have the skill, we wouldn't have the ability, we wouldn't have any money, I mean, we wouldn't have anything without God allowing it to not only be made, but to be had. And God says, through Paul, God gave so you can give. Generously. Generously. And we're going to look at it in just a second, and you see it in the way of Cain. There's something about money that we have a hard time talking about, hard time dealing with, hard time letting go of. It's like there's a a heartstring tied from our heart to our wallet, and we can't let go. It's a security thing, safety thing, or it's a pride thing. I did it. It's mine. Nobody else, they did not work for that. They're not going to have it. No, it's mine. I'm saving it for some day in the future and and saving is good and you should scripture talks about that but there's a difference between hoarding for selfish reasons and following the lord's direction for saving there's a difference there's a difference in in keeping some back because you don't trust god's going to provide and keeping some back because god told you to there's a difference There's a difference in giving by faith like Abel, not knowing God was going to provide anymore, not knowing what was coming next, but giving because he worshipped and gave and trusted that God was going to take care of it. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, that we should give not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Our contribution should reflect our God-given capacity because we can't outgive God. We can't outgive God. Jared, I'm going to steal your story you told me this morning. Okay, thank you. Now that I've announced it to the room. <laughs> um, Jared acted on faith that... It was this week, uh, and uh, somebody had tried to do something and, and give some money for, for something. Uh, it was $100. I'll just say it. It's $100. And Jerry said, no, no, in that person's situation, you, you keep it. No, it, it, it does not need to happen. I know that will help us in, in what we're doing, but no, you need that money. And so uh, Jared, not knowing where the provision was going to come from, said, no, you keep the $100. The next day, two days later, Maybe the, it was the next day, very next day. Uh, some of the guys, Derek took some of the youth guys to do some stuff, and, and, they, re- and they received for uh, going towards help pay for camp $200. You see, Jared didn't know where God was going to provide when he said, no, you keep your $100. And so what did God do the very next day? Gave 200 You cannot outgive God ever. And you can say all day long, well, I don't know where it's going to come from. If God would just show me the blueprint and I could see all of it, then, then I, would, I would feel secure <laughs> in giving that. 
I would feel secure in, the, in, the, in what he told me to give. I would, feel, I would feel more comfort if I would just know when the provision is going to come and where it's going to come. But the thing is, that's not how God works. God's never going to give you a life where you don't need him. You've got to trust him that he's going to give what you need when you need it and allow him to get the glory for it. You've got to trust him like Abel did, like Paul did everywhere he went. Now, I'm going to walk you through something, though, that when I saw it, it really kind of blew my mind. I've mentioned it on, on, on a Wednesday night study we've done, but um, I haven't done it on a Sunday before. In Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30, God said this, in, this is, now this is the law, okay? This is the law, Old Testament law. Every tithe of the land. Now the word tithe literally means tenth. So if you've ever heard the word tithe, you're speaking Hebrew. You're welcome. It means tenth, one-tenth. Every tithe of the land, whether seed of the land or fruit of the trees, it is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. And so what the law says is that tenth that you're supposed to be giving, that's God's. So if you keep it, you're keeping God's stuff. That's what he said. That's why in Malachi chapter 3, God said, you people are stealing from me. You people are stealing from me because you're not given that tenth. Which Malachi chapter 3 verse 10 Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test. Only time in scripture, God says, put me to the test. Says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. And so what the law says, Old Testament law, give 10%, 10% of your gross. And he says, bring it into the storehouse. You want to use modern language? That's the general budget of the church. That's what that means. Not You want to designate? Great, but that's not the storehouse. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Bring the full tent that you're supposed to be giving of the Lord into the storehouse. That's what the law says. Now let's shake you up a little bit. Romans chapter 7, verse 4. Paul says this. My brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him, who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, that's trying to follow the law to get to heaven, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members, our body, to bear fruit for death. So every time we broke the law, every time we sinned, we deserve to die. That's what Paul's saying. So for every single sin, you deserve to die. Jesus freed us from that when he died and rose from the dead and we believe, then we don't die and go to hell. Verse 6, this is what he says. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. The law held us captive. So that we serve in a new way of the spirit. We serve in a new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So, being dead to the law, being freed from the law, being unbound from the law, it, it removes the, the tithe requirement from us. You say, yes, I don't got to give 10%. I'm all for this Romans chapter 7. I'm down with this, man. Paul's all over it. And I can drop it down to 2% and I'll be, feel good. About, I'll just give whatever's in my pocket. But that's not what he's saying at all. He said we serve in the new way of the spirit, not in the old way of death. What giving in the spirit means, living in the spirit means, living by faith means, is we should exceed any expected obligation. 
Living in the Spirit means we should trust more, not less. Living by faith in the Spirit means we should, we should trust more than what the law tells us to do. We should trust more. We should give more. We should walk more in faith than what the law said to do. Not because we're required, but because we want to walk with the Lord. We want to trust him more than the law, what it requires of us. And so as we grow in faith, as we grow in the spirit, we should also be growing in our giving. It shouldn't be the same as what it was. Again, and it's not an amount, that's not the issue. God doesn't need your money by any stretch of the imagination. If you ever think God needs your money, then you need to go back and read scripture again. God doesn't need your money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Or as a modern preacher, I heard him say, he owns the Cadillacs at a thousand dealerships. He owns all that there is. He doesn't need it. He can do whatever he's going to do with or without you. He wants your faith. He wants your heart. And so sometimes what we have to do then, because we know our hearts are, are corrupted, our hearts are messed up. Scripture tells us that there's nothing more deceitful than our own hearts, is we have to unbind intentionally our wallets from our hearts. And we have to do it on purpose. We have to recalibrate, realign our hearts. And if that means i got to give more because I know my heart is screwed up. And I know that I, just, I need to intentionally realign my heart. Have you ever had your tires out of alignment in your vehicle? You know, I, I was driving my mower the other day. And it's way out of alignment. I mean, the, the, the steering wheel is like this. But, you know, you're driving. I'm driving up the drive. and It's out of alignment for multiple reasons. But uh, one of the reasons it's out of alignment is because the little thing that connects uh, where the steering wheel goes down and, 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 and it's the metal piece that goes to the tire, it snapped. Brandon would know the exact name of it. I can't think of it off the top of my head. Moyers told me the other day, but I've got the new one now. But uh, it just snapped, and so the tire now, I can turn the wheel all I want, but that tire's just going to be flopping around and turn sideways and snap off if I keep trying to drive. Uh, so, so I slowly, I would drive a little bit and then go back and readjust the tire and then try to back it into my shed, you know, drive about three feet and then go readjust the tire so it doesn't turn and snap. And then I call Brandon and say, hey, man, can you come fix my mower again? <laughs> and uh, until I got the, the, the replacement piece, because my tires were out of alignment. And if you don't, and it's the same with your vehicle that you're driving down the road. You're, if you just leave your vehicle straight and your tires are in alignment, they tell you then your car should just go straight if you don't touch the wheel. But if they're out of alignment, you're going to start to veer to one side or the other. And so you have to intentionally go in and get them realigned so your car goes where it's supposed to go. And we have to do that with our own hearts. We have to go in and intentionally realign our hearts so that we go where God wants us to go. Because we can't serve two masters. You'll love one and hate the other. Well, you can't love God and love money. You've got to love one and love the other. So growing in the Spirit, being in the Spirit, growing in faith, being in faith means giving in the Spirit. Giving in faith helps my heart understand who's really in control. Giving in faith helps my heart understand who's really in control and where everything I have comes from. And I've got to intentionally do that on purpose. That's like what God was telling Cain. Cain that sin is poised and ready at your door. But Cain wasn't about to listen to the Lord. 
Cain wasn't going to recalibrate his heart. Cain wasn't going to realign what he was doing, and so he went out and did something he never thought he would do. And so this giving deal, it makes people uncomfortable. I can see it on some of your faces when you saw this was the direction we were going. You shifted and you thought weird and you've given me a sourpuss face ever since we started. That's fine. It's not my job to fix your heart. It's my job to tell you what Scripture says. And so Scripture says this. Follow in faith what the Lord has. And so if there's something that you're clinging to, maybe it's money, Maybe it's money the Lord told you to give a while back and you haven't given it and it makes you uncomfortable and you don't want to think about it. And you know the Lord told you to raise your tithe from 10%. Maybe you thought you were checking the box like Cain, I'm, I'm giving, but it's not by faith. It's not your heart. If you, if you, if you had the thought, well, I, I can't afford to give what the Lord's telling me to give. <laughs> well, if you're not doing what the Lord told you to do, you're going to find yourself in a whole mess of trouble. I mean, I could tell you story after story after story. I mean, there was a time in our lives where it was either we get health insurance or we give to God. <laughs> well, we gave to the Lord and we're still here. God provides. He always does. It may not make sense on the spreadsheet. It may not make sense in the bank account. But if you follow the Lord faithfully, he will provide every single time. Every single time. Without fail. That's why he says in Malachi 3, test me in this. Try it. And see if you won't like it. There's a song from one of, as a parent, you know, your kids will watch certain TV shows and some you cringe because they're their favorite ones and you really, oh my word, watching the show again, I feel like my brain cells are being sucked out. And there's other ones you're like, I really, I like this show more than my kid does. Um, there's one from, from, from years back that there was a song on that show that I still sing it now to my kids sometimes. Try it, try it, you just might like it. Try it, try it, you just might like it. He was talking about milk in the song. but Try it, try it, you just might like it. Try giving to the Lord and see what he does. You just might like it. There's a story of, of a member of our church. Some years back, it's been about six years now, he told me, I really hadn't tithed or given to the Lord. And he said, I really felt convicted one Sunday that I needed to give. He said, well, there was this, outs he, he, he owned this company, and uh, there was an outstanding check that he did, honestly didn't know how he was going to make payroll that was due that week because this check was for $17,000. And he was really worried about this money coming and it was supposed to be due two weeks ago and it hadn't come in he didn't know what he was going to do how he was going to pay his people he didn't know how he was going to tell his people he didn't have money to pay them but he was sitting in church that Sunday and he really felt convicted that he hadn't been giving and so he, he leaned over to his wife and they talked and they prayed and he wrote a check that if the other check didn't come this was going to be their grocery money and he put it in the offering, like our offering basket, back when we passed him, this was pre-COVID, can you imagine a world pre-COVID? And he put it in the offering plate that we passed. And uh, he, he called the church office, I kid you not, it was, uh, I may be misremembering it, but I want to say it was 8.13 the next morning. He said, and he was giddy. This is a guy who doesn't smile. And he said, you're not going to believe what happened. And I said his name, and I said, what happened? 
And he said, I got in my office this morning, and that $17,000 check was sitting on my desk. And our office has been locked all weekend. I don't know how it got here, but here it is. And I said, so obeying the Lord works. <laughs> he said, yes. And I said, so you're going to give next week? Yes, absolutely, I'm giving next week. Uh, God always provides. I've told this story before. There was one time we were in a leadership meeting, and our ice machine was busted, and, and we needed ice because, I mean, we had all these events, and we were ministering to these family and this, this group of people and this over, and then we had a funeral coming up, and we needed to provide, and we uh, were, were talking about, you know, ice machine at the time. It caught, I can't remember how much, it was over $8,000, very expensive ice machine. And it was a time when the church was really struggling financially, a number of years ago. And uh, most of the team didn't want to do it because it was very, I mean, $8,000, nothing to sneeze at. That's very expensive. And one of the t- members on the team said, we need to stop. Are we a church or not? Are we people of faith or not? Has God told us to minister people? Has God told us to reach people? And that ice machine can help us do it. So are we going to act in faith or not? Well, at that point, nobody voted no. We all voted yes. And uh, the next morning, a guy came in the church office and said, I don't know why God is doing what he's doing. I mean, but he said, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. And he said, God told me to write a very specific amount on this check I'm going to give you right now. And it was to the cent with tax what that ice machine cost. That would still flabbergast me. At the time, Jessica was working in the office, and she said, you're not going to believe what he just handed me. And I said, what? And it was the number, and I said, are you, I ran out. I said, are you you kidding me right now? Like, that's exactly what we talked about yesterday. You see, when you walk in faith, God always provides. And that's just a couple of stories. I can tell you story after story after story after story of God providing. This is just our church, God providing. When you let go and let God have it, when you trust him to provide, when you do like Abel, by faith, offer to the Lord. By faith, offer to the Lord. And then see what God does. And so I'm going to give you a challenge, all right, just to see what God can do in your heart, in your life. For the next 60 days, I'm going to challenge you to give. Give what God tells you to give. Don't just give the, what you feel like is the bare minimum. Don't just feel like what you can get by with and skate by with. Kind of that's what Cain was doing. Give in faith and see what God does. 60 days. Try it. Try it. You just might like it. See how God changes your heart. See what God does in your life. See how God delivers in a way you never thought was possible. See what God does. Just try to live by faith in that area in these next 60 days. That's July, August, and right into that first week of, of uh, September. So past Labor Day. And let's see what God does with you. For the next 60 days, just try it. it now, if, here's the deal, though. If you commit to trying something in faith, Satan's coming. He's poised at the door. And he's going to try you out. Are you really committed to this deal? Are you really going to try and do what God wants you to do? Because I'm going to throw everything in the kitchen sink at you. Just to see if you'll not step away. Kind of like Job, like he was testing Job. Let's just see how faithful you really are. And you have to ask yourself, will I walk by faith? What kind of faith do I have? Or really, what do I have faith in? Who do I trust? 
Do I trust the Lord or not? Maybe today you need to trust the Lord for the first time. Trust that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead so you can live after you die. And if you need uh, 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 to believe in him today, we want to get that settled before you walk out the doors. Get that settled before you click off if you're watching online. There's a button right below if you're watching online. It says, I made a decision. You click on that, and I will call you today uh, and talk to you about that decision. But if you're in the room, you come, in just a second, I'm going to pray. I'm going to say amen. Team's going to come, and they're going to sing. And that's your cue to come and say, I need to make a decision for Jesus. Like, I need to follow Jesus. I need to believe in Jesus. Maybe, maybe what you need to do is you need to make that commitment to the Lord to try him out. Try in faith what he's telling you to give. And you need to come down here and you need to kneel down at these steps and say, you know what, God, I need to live in faith. I need to walk in faith. I need to stop clinging and I need to start uh, coming to you. I need to start clinging to my stuff and start clinging to my Jesus. I need to start following after what you've put me to follow after. And maybe that's what you need to come and do. Maybe you need to come and do that for a family member or friend. God, I know I've got this family member, I've got this friend who's just clinging to the wrong stuff and not clinging to you. You need to come and pray for them. But what decision do you need to make today? Follow Jesus for the first time? Make the commitment to, to try him out for the next 60 days, to give in faith, walk in faith, and see what he does with you? You know, we give electronically, or you can, uh, through our website, uh, safely. You can give in that little basket back there in the back. Uh, or maybe you just need to, you need to get saved today. Try it, try it. You just might like it.